0: Hey guys, Rafe Kelly here from Evolve Move Play. Um, Today on the podcast, we've got Rory Miller. Rory Miller is a celebrated self defense expert. He's written how many books? I have no idea. You have no idea? He has no idea. He's written many books, they're all great. Um, He uh, was in the military, worked as a correction facilities officer for many years, has had over 300 use of force uh, um, events, and has a really unique understanding of violence. I was working as a bouncer myself 10 years ago. Uh, I was training in martial arts and I came across his blog and I felt that he was able to describe violence in a much more coherent way that really accorded with what I was seeing than any of the traditional martial arts that I had experienced. And you know, I've followed his work ever since and it's just a a huge honor to have him here. And thank you very much, Rory. Um, So the first question I always ask people Mm -hmm. is, since it's a movement-oriented podcast, what does your movement practice look like today? And that's an interesting question for you as a, as a kind of a, a guy who's now a freelance yeah. writer who used to be...
1: Uh, yeah, I'm pretty much a crippled-up old guy now. Um, <laughs> and writing is a way less active lifestyle. I mm-hmm. don't have the incentive I used to, to be ready all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the things I still love to do are getting together with a handful of friends and we brawl. <laughs> That's that's the we call them the violence prone play groups, the VPPGs. That's yeah. good. I like it. Play it's is kind of great.
0: Of so how how did what did your training look like then as far as movement, as far as physically preparing your body as an operator to survive what you did? That that's a big be at which time in the life. Um, probably the,
1: the most intense um, was was before this happened in college. I was on the judo team. And uh, skipping classes to go to extra judo practice. And Wolfgang, who was the, the sensei, Wolfgang Dill, had been a um, former West German national team, mm-hmm. and he had the most brutal cool workouts I have yet experienced. His, his idea of an ab workout was horrifying. <laughs> uh, we had a running joke that you could take out the entire Oregon State University judo team if you just cut us after practice. There you go. We, we, every night, we literally could not get dressed by ourselves. And on any night I wasn't there, I was down at a taekwondo class where the uh, instructor had his um, aerobics instructor wife doing the stretching for us. Mm-hmm. And at that point, yeah, it was intense.
0: That um, sounds very intense. Now, one of the interesting questions that, that comes up for me when talking to somebody who has really had to apply movement most people in the movement community, it's not their the capacities that are developing don't have professional relevance for them. Mm-hmm. They have personal relevance for them. So when we're trying to learn kind of how to be better at movement, mm-hmm. we have to think about, is this worth the damage that we're gonna take? And so as somebody who's, who's been in the world of, my body needs to be able to do these things to keep me alive, mm-hmm. and if I hurt myself in training, that's you know that's, that's a sacrifice. How do you find that that you think about this balance between how do we prepare ourselves without annihilating ourselves
1: uh i wasn't good at that (laughs) i um i've had i'm i'm in double digits for shoulder dislocations Mm -hmm. i just had my second knee surgery um i my hands go numb if i have them above my head when i lay down i can't see out of my left eye in the morning till after i'm hydrated um i Every, every, every instructor you ever have will tell you, protect your joints, you're gonna need them when you're older, and if you're like me and every other young man that ever existed, you're gonna go, yeah, old bastard doesn't know what he's talking about. And um, I said, yeah, old bastard doesn't know what he's talking about, and uh, only quit using the cane three or four months ago. And I'm sure I will be back on the cane eventually.
0: So the lesson is, listen to the old bastards. Listen
1: to the old bastards. They, they got old for a reason. <laughs> um, and, they, and their regrets will be your regrets someday. So, yeah.
0: Excellent. So, the next question I want to get into is kind of the, the, the big question, which is, your work is about understanding violence. Mm-hmm. What is violence? For somebody who, who's lived an affluent Western lifestyle, who's probably never been in a serious fight, who's never encountered a predator, what is violence? How? Tell me. What is violence? I'll start there.
1: As a rule, violence is anything you don't like.
0: Violence, is anything um,
1: for some reason, when we like it, we want to call it something else. We call it force, or uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, when you're doing what you want to do, then you're standing up for yourself. When someone does the exact same thing, he's being an asshole. Um, but that's the. That's, violence is a word that we use generally to shut other people down and make them shut up so you, we don't have, we're limiting information as hard as we can.
0: So, essentially in your conception, mm-hmm. there, there's no kind of break point on the scale from trying to convince someone in an argument to nuclear war. Um, or is that, am I wrong on that?
1: No. Um, sort of. And this is one of the things, we all have this scale in our head that we want to have. And this is okay and this is acceptable and this is okay and this is, oh that's wrong. Oh that's mm-hmm. bad. Oh that's and everyone has that. But you have to realize it's still a scale. And <clears throat> one of the things we throw in all the time, manipulation. Mm-hmm. Is manipulation bad? Yeah. Uh, but you can't communicate. All communication is form manipulation. I can't get the stuff in my head into your head without manipulating mm-hmm. it in there somehow. I have to use words. I have to use the words in a skillful way so that you understand what I'm trying to say, not just make up your own shit and not even listen to me. Mm-hmm. So, all communication is manipulation. There's nowhere on that scale. So, saying it's automatically bad um, the, and whipping around to violence, because I, I consider manipulation to be on that scale of force or violence. Yeah. Um, when someone says that violence is automatically bad, when there has been no other way to get food for all of evolutionary history. You have to tear a living creature up with your teeth in order to not die. And to sit there and automatically say, well, violence is bad. Or, as long as I'm ranting, um, I was checking out some books, Amazon reviews, mm-hmm. and one, and he's evidently a professor doctor, but the review was, this guy still believes in the outdated and false belief that violence is, is, uh, is a utility that violence exists for you. So of course I fucking exist for you. Why else could we do it? Viol- yeah. And that's one of the things that people are most in fucking denial of, that people use violence because it works.
0: It yeah. It works. I think that we, we want to believe that it, it doesn't work so that we can believe that the, the use of it would eventually disappear.
1: Not as long as we need to eat, it will never disappear. And the more you convince, the larger number of people that you convince, the more, then the more powerful someone that uses it becomes. And that's, if you, if you have, everyone in the world no longer knows how to deal with violent people because you got rid of for a generation and someone suddenly becomes violent, he's God. He's literally a superhuman.
0: This is something that I, I find really interesting personally because I, you know, I'm i basically a peaceable person. I've lived uh, I, So am I. I. I live in an affluent, you know. Um, white neighborhood in North Seattle and and I I don't, I don't experience really even interpersonal just sort of aggression very much in my life but I grew up as a kid who lived in a in a kind of a redneck town having to prove myself mm-hmm. I got in lots of fights I was uh, ADHD and dyslexic so I was the weird kid that ever the kids were gonna pick on but I was bigger and stronger so that was how I won um, and, it, and it's, always, it's always struck me that if we're going to limit violence, mm. we have to have the strength to understand it and to confront it and to be willing to apply it where necessary. Yes. So, so violence is force applied to other people in a sense.
1: When you like it, you call it force. When you don't like it, you call it violence. Yeah. Um, there's... You kicked over about six kids, <laughs> okay, go ahead, but um one of the things is claiming it's unnatural gets people to shut down mm-hmm. if It's unnatural it must be wrong, um and it's not unnatural, it never has been um, one of one of the things one of the ethics does power
0: corrupt, yeah, you sure, oh, does power corrupt you're asking me yeah um not necessarily, I would not say that. It shouldn't, because if you
1: think about that, if you, if you actually incorporate that as a societal value, it is an ethic that makes good people weak. They believe they'll magically yeah, turn into yeah. bad people if they get strong. And none of us are naturally weak. That's not the human, that's no animal mm-hmm. who chooses weakness given a choice. And you can't honestly be good unless you're strong enough to do something about it. You can think all the good thoughts in your world and those are absolutely worthless until actions marry to them.
0: The way that I think about power is that power has costs. Mm -hmm. No matter how it's applied, it always has costs. And the more powerful you are, the more likely someone will experience a cost of that that they will perceive as violence. So the best person in the world, if omnipotent in a sense, is always going to step on somebody's toes. So it's not that power corrupts, power reveals corruption and I think you know what we just said about when we say that power corrupts it makes uh, good people weak. To me that's an incredibly powerful idea. I come from kind of a hippie upbringing Mm -hmm. you know and one of the things that we always really looked down on was any sort of capitalist intent Mm -hmm. and I looked at the world and said The fastest way to get a powerful message to a lot of people is to be a good capitalist. And I see a lot of people who are really great people, who have great ideas, who are unwilling to do the things that will help other people experience those ideas because they're afraid that they'll get labeled as a capitalist. And that's just an expression of power.
1: No, it's one of those, the whole concept of peace we have now was not possible for the idea of free trade. Because if you wanted stuff, you had to con- conquer people and take their shit. Yeah. And suddenly it's way easier, cheaper, less bloodshed, less work, and more profitable to have trading partners mm-hmm. than to conquer. And that—that that's an outgrowth of that mindset. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing, get back into the w- people wanting to be safe, wanting there not to be any violence. One of the things we do there, sideways, and this goes into your whole natural movement and everything, is we take kids, and kids kids have a lot of things going for them. They are natural learning machines. Mm-hmm. Um, did you hear about what they did in Ethiopia with the tablets?
0: Uh, uh, I didn't, so go ahead and tell me.
1: They dropped 20 tablets in a village that had no literate people and a charging station, And within three months, some of the kids were teaching themselves English and their parents English and to figure out how to hack some of the stuff that they had put on the tablets so they wouldn't access the cameras and use up battery. Kids are natural learning machines.
0: Power of play.
1: They're natural movers. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're also, humans are the top end predator on this planet. When you've got a city of a million predators, you want them controlled. And unfortunately, one of the ways we go about controlling them is trying to brainwash them from the time they're little that they aren't tigers that they don't have a place in the natural, you know, if you want to go to the true natural order, that they don't have a place that's right at the top of that little food pyramid. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're in power, yeah. it's really good to tell the people who are below right. that they they shouldn't be predators, they shouldn't be strong. It, when
1: you're thinking like a herd animal, your instinct is to weaken all the people around you. Mm-hmm. If you get scared. Everyone needs to be weak. Don't do anything. Be passive. Yeah. If you're thinking like a pack animal, everyone around you that's stronger makes you stronger. That's and I, I like strong people. There's weak people are <laughs> weak.
0: <laughs> that's one of, my, one of my core philosophies is basically steel sharpens steel, yes. right? So put yourself around the people that will make you strong and you're going to be a much happier, much better person. Don't, don't be afraid of being weak in the sense of relative to the people around you because it's people who are strong in other ways that can make you strong in those ways. Okay,
1: I say hang out with the best people that will tolerate you.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> a good one. They bring your game up.
1: Good yeah. people, uh, that's one of, and we were talking about this before that uh, we started recording, but the intelligent people that disagree with you are possibly your most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. That's where all your learning happens. If you surround yourself by people that agree with it, if, if you look around it, everyone that you're around is on the same political party or the same spectrum in anything. Um, you're isolated and you're getting stupider every second, you need the challenge. You Absolutely. Stop without challenge.
0: So that cues me into something I really want to talk about. I want to just set the groundwork just a little bit more though. So violence is is the use of force, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's one way to think about it. And it, it's anywhere on that scale. So one thing, we live in a sense in the, in some ways, the least violent, at least the least physically violent period yeah. in human history. So I think it's very easy for people to kind of lose an understanding of how violence structures our reality. Mm-hmm. And I wanted you to, to kind of give people some perspective on that because my perspective is, is look, we, we come from millions of years of evolution mm-hmm. and you exist because your forefathers were able to kill somebody else and, yes. and Secure territory, secure mates, secure resources. You, you, that doesn't mean that you should be doing the same thing. But mm-hmm. if you don't come to grips with that, you don't understand that you don't accept that as part of your worldview. then mm-hmm. I think you're, you're kind of deluding yourself in a dangerous way. So if you could speak on that, that'd right be amazing. That. Okay, um, some, some of the things I play with, um,
1: our ancestors, mm-hmm. this big, brains half the size of ours yeah. and opposable thumbs they work together it was all it took for them to conquer the world. Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of excuses. Um, we have more information. We have more stuff so on that side. You are, like you said, we are all the product of 4 billion years of not losing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty spectacular. This goes for the whole world. Um, within that we don't realize, or we're no, we're beyond not realizing, we're in absolute denial, active denial, about how the possibility of violence literally underpins everything. Um, negotiation, unless you can back it up in some way, and in the end, all the backups come down to force so in some way you're willing to, to enforce your will should the negotiation not go at least good enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's no such thing as negotiation, it's only side has the power and the other side has absolutely no power or and this is another thing power is not enough you have to be able to use it you have to be willing to use it because every human being is powerful enough that they can make consequences Yeah. Um, but you can be that powerful you can be extremely powerful when you're afraid to use it it, um, it doesn't matter you might as well not be and that puts you in a position there's no such thing as negotiation it's only begging and that's you have to at some point accept that and recognize this is natural power doesn't mean that you're and and this is one of the things we have built into our society so much that um, if you actually have power or use power you are an asshole and it's one of those no if you don't have power you're a child (laughs) and if you're unwilling to use it you're still a dependent Um, that's that's integral to part of being a human being is accepting your power, part of being any animal is accepting it and I just wanna slap people sometimes.
0: (laughs) Hey guys, we're back here. We had some technical difficulties with the weather. Um, I've put in a word with the man upstairs, but he doesn't appear to be listening. So uh, we've changed spots here. We were talking about violence and how it kind of structures reality. And when we ignore that, when we don't kind of understand how much that's been characteristic of human history, we, we live kind of in a, in a little bit of a delusion. Mm-hmm. And this, this, this desire to, to go to a world where we're comfortable all the time, mm-hmm. where, we're, where we're coddled all the time, I think it's one of the, the scariest things about the modern world, really. And, and it's, it's really, I think, contrary to any training philosophy. Mm-hmm. what I always say is you know, mm-hmm. we don't find happiness and growth mm-hmm. through comfort we mm-hmm. find it through finding our edges and I think that, that the paradigm of violence because it's so, it's so fast mm-hmm. in taking us to our envelope it's such a mm-hmm. powerful thing so I wanted you to get into kind of your thoughts on how understanding violence mm-hmm. and learning how to kind of deal with it provides this opportunity for self-growth and what the cost is of going the other direction.
1: Wow, okay. Um, There's a lot in there. Um, You talk and your your movement, your work, your everything. You can't grow in your comfort zone, absolutely. No animal can do that. And that's physical, that's mental, that's spiritual. If you believe in that, that's emotional. Um, Everything requires conflict. Mm-hmm. At least at some level you can't You can't get stronger without pushing weight. You can't increase your endurance without increasing your lung capacity by putting a load on it You can't do any of these things that we're doing by coddling people as you put it um, We are actively working to make our own children into feel <laughs> mentally physically um, they, they don't you don't expose them to ideas that that might you know might challenge them, that might make them think, that might, and this is horrible but that might prove they're wrong, how, how in what universe do you want your child to be wrong and not learn, not know that they're wrong? This is, it's all about learning. So we have all these growth things and things that have traditional huge growth benefits and, the, you know, the high-risk, the high-risk exercises, free solo climbing. Um, I haven't done heavy weather sailing, the heavy weather sailing. Yeah. Solo, you will learn more shit about yourself in climbing. But the one thing with conflict, or with with violence specifically, and um, not glorifying it, not romanticizing it, um, but it has all the ego-enhancing things of rock climbing, if the rock had a personal stake in you losing. (laughs) And that, that raises it to a whole other level. Okay, now that said, and this is one thing, since people romanticize Violence, mm-hmm. and it's not. And in this one of the things. If there's anything from this, that whole point of it being natural means you should not be romanticizing. No one should. And this has come up on my blog before. It's like you know, but you say you can't really know anything about this and let it get into it, and then you say don't get into it. Yes, don't get into it. There are th- things you can only learn there, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, but they aren't generally worth it. Um, we have to have certain people going in those professions, or things go to shit. I think everyone should have some exposure to it or they are trying to control a part of the world that they're completely ignorant about. And that never works very well. Um, I'll flat out say that right now, where we are with violence is where we were with sex in the 50s. Don't mm-hmm. talk about it. Don't let other people talk about it. Let's it doesn't happen. Shut your eyes. And you know how well that worked. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's not talk about it. So um, the violence thing that... Again, there are some lessons there you can't get other places, but they're no more profound. Being a father mm-hmm. is far more profound. Cut it out. We would be so much better if only we didn't have this piece of our soul knowing that there's something about you that other people would like to get rid of no matter who you are. Um, it's a very violent. Dumb way to do it. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and it's just as violent. In my opinion, raising your children in an absolutely peaceful environment where they absolutely have no conflict and they never get those feelings hurt. Um, if you're cool with that, and you are not cool with the field, you need to examine your basic, basic what. None of the people I value do
0: well when things get easy. Yeah. So, so this is a this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about the the question of natural yeah. movement in general. Like when we're looking at this, mm-hmm. we're we're basically saying there's something about the past that was better than the present, and and. What we have to understand though, is that it's easy to step into romanticizing the past and not realizing how much we've gained and how valuable it is.
1: Yeah, and I would go not with better, but there's, as you move steps, things get lost. And again, right? yeah, we romanticize the past. Um, There was tracking and hunting and all this. We don't romanticize the fact that, you know, you were scared all the time and you never knew if you'd have food that winter and some of your people would starve every winter and all that. But but if, you, if you've done tracking, then walking in the woods is an entirely different experience. The amount of information there is unbelievable and it's, it's huge. And, and as we move away, you know, uh, this, this is cold and wet and rainy. Yeah. Um, and when you get people that are honestly aren't used to it, it's like, oh my God, it's cold and wet and rainy. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually kind of cool. It's, if, it's, it's, it's,
0: I think it you know. is nourishment. It's yeah. a form of nourishment. I look at the world and I say, you know, we've created a world mm-hmm. that's the least violent in history. Mm-hmm. We've created a world where you have the least chance of, of disease, dying mm-hmm. from disease. We've created a world where your children are likely to survive through infancy, incredibly likely to uh, survive yeah. through infancy, and that's a historical um, anomaly. And, and we really need to understand how great those things are in a way, yeah. but we have to recognize that in some way we've created mismatches with who we are and we are, we are feeling that. We're depressed, we are we have anxiety, mm-hmm. and we, we fail to understand, understand things that really still control the reality. You may not know that violence is something that structures reality, but that doesn't mean that it, that it ceased to exist. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who's not gonna be an operator, who's not gonna do these things, how can they orient around violence and get enough understanding of it to gain as much benefit as possible while not exposing themselves to so much that they're gonna take damage that they don't need, that's not adding value.
1: It's not. There, there's a question. Um, the difference between knowing, understanding, and experience is mm-hmm. huge in this. Because you can know a lot. There's a huge amount of information out there. Um, I would try to stay away from the people that have agendas and are trying to explain it away. If, if mm-hmm. the explanation's not utilitarian, if you can't use it to predict behavior, then they're actually, I would say, nine-tenths of the people doing research are doing it for their own therapy, not because it's useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, no matter how much you study matter how much you read, you, you know it, which doesn't mean you understand it, which doesn't mean you get it. Yeah. Um, so there's that, because it's, it's not that hard to break down. Violence, violence is used for purposes, it's used by specific people for specific things on specific people. And once you get the breakdowns, it's not hard. And I've, I've talked about it before. I don't necessarily want to repeat it here. Because mm-hmm. you, you, yeah. you don't want to do the stuff that's been done on every other podcast. <laughs> right. But it's like, but I, can, I can throw out the Maslow Pyramid and mm-hmm. have the violence from each of the levels is different, and you get it. It, yeah. it makes sense. But you get it here. Yeah. Um, that's totally different than understanding that this is a part of me. If I was hungry, I'd be willing to do this. If my children were hungry, I'd be willing to do that. And... Um, and it, and that should not be something to get into the dark parts of your brain. You should sit there and go know that know that, that lizard part of your brain exists. Um, but it for me at least it helps me appreciate the fact that my children are not starving, and in this world are unlikely to. Yeah. And so to appreciate. It. But the when you get to the understanding, um, the the deep stuff. There there is always an aspect of of the interaction and the intensity of it. It's not you can't get secondhand. you can't get third hand it's in you and if it's awakened, it will come out and it's powerful but um, but intellectually it doesn't matter how much you can quote from, from Grossman or DeMecker or anybody you want to name it, the, it's uh, the, the best thing it's just like being a parent you can have all the plans in the world know exactly how you're going to raise kids you've been around kids your whole life you've seen everyone else do it and nothing prepared you for how you changed when you held that baby in your arms for the first time. Nothing.
0: When I, when my son was born, or my daughter, sorry. When my daughter was born, mm-hmm. you realize it's one of the most profound experiences you've ever had. Excuse me, Mike here. When my daughter was born, you, she, you know, she's hell. They give you to her, and you hold her mm-hmm. in my arms for the first time, and you realize this emotional experience that you've never had before, of the most profound love mm-hmm. and terror at the same time. So this is one of my kind of philosophies about general. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my general philosophies is this concept of aliveness. And mm-hmm. initially I encountered this word aliveness from the work of Matt Thornton, who's mm-hmm. also a self-defense author. And he talked about how a lot of martial arts, they're not, they're not practicing things in a live way, in a way that replicates Yeah the variables that you'll experience in actual yes. combat. And as I've gone through my movement practice, built all these different things, mm-hmm. I have recognized that so often people don't or are unwilling to want to try to do the things that are gonna make it difficult to them, for them to apply the skills. So people say, hey, how do you train parkour in the rain? Mm-hmm. How do you train parkour in the rain? Well, you train parkour in the rain. That's, it's, it's very simple. You have to try the skills and see how they work when it's wet. You have to try the skills and see how they work when it's cold, when it's dark. And what I found, the interesting part of that is that the the more that you can kind of find all the different variables that stretch you to your limits, Mm -hmm. they're more alive in the sense of they're building this skill set that's more alive. But they're more alive in the sense that when you're there, you feel alive in a different way than you feel. You're more present, more lit up, more neurons, Mm -hmm. more endorphins than anything that you've experienced. The last time I got in a street fight, I walked away and I was laughing and smiling and I felt so high and I went to a gymnastics class and did a bunch of tricks that I'd never done before. I'm not suggesting anybody go get in a street fight. But, But, But I think that through movement practice, through rock climbing, through canyoneering, through parkour, um, and through martial arts training, we can gain some understanding, some levels of experience that we can't otherwise. Um, and that's not a, <laughs> that didn't come out as a question, no, but uh, it,
1: the, but the question I'm hearing in it,
0: or choosing to hear it, um, animals learn through
1: play. This is mm-hmm. how all animals learn, and it is the only way to learn a complicated system. You can't, you can't, and this is one of the things, when you you get to the the martial arts that go rote, and Mm -hmm. all martial arts have some form of free play in them. Yeah. Um, But when you get to the ones that just go rote and the rote's the way to do it, they've got, A, that's entirely the wrong dynamic. That's like um, trying to learn a language just by memorizing words and grammar rules, and it's not the same. If you can't go to a market and flirt and bargain and do all the shit that language is designed for, you aren't. Mm -hmm. And conversely, it's the other way around. If you only have 12 words, you don't have any grammar at all, but you're willing to go to the market and bargain and flirt, you're actually functional. Yeah. Um, So within that, sorry, going off on ranch here, but play is the way animals learn, it's the only way to learn complicated things. One of the things that that we do, again, Mm -hmm. as as a society, um, no cat ever learned to hunt by going to school. (laughs) Um, And... Kids are natural learning machines. So we throw them in, and they learn by play. Let's yeah. play this. Let's play that. Let's play that. Let's play that. And when you allow yourself to play, you learn too. But at some point, around 10 or 11 or 12, you're, someone started telling you, grow up. Grow up. S-
0: earlier and earlier in our culture.
1: And, and we get this. We don't realize how everyone talks about it. There's a game. I don't know if, where we can. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work on film, probably. Um, but there's a game. We can try it later. But it's a uh, it's basically, you can change the way you think, mm-hmm. and it totally changes the way you move, and it changes the way you fight. And it has, and not little change, profound changes. Um, but we all have this weird ego, in the sense of this idea, I am who I am. <laughs> and and that, that I is horseshit anyway. Yeah. It's, it, I, you don't want to see me before and after coffee. I'm not the same person. <laughs> um, I do enough sleep deprivation that I know how much my personality changes sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, but once, if you're willing to get in there and play with your brain and play with your body, who you become as a human being is orders of magnitude different, more powerful, better, more fun, more interesting than when you're sitting there. no, I am the kind of person that only does this. And that's just, and that's fucking stupid. There's no advantage to it whatsoever unless you have so much fear of failure that you're voluntarily choosing. You know, it's bad enough that we're turning people into veal. We're turning ourselves into veal. That's just outrageous.
0: Yeah, the problem of creating so much comfort and so much affluence mm-hmm. is that we've created this mm-hmm. trap of of I can be where it's seventy two degrees mm-hmm. all the time. Why would I go somewhere else? Mm-hmm. But now, all of a sudden, you've made sixty eight really cold, and seventy six really hot, and now you're miserable anytime you're not in a raw, a temperature controlled room, and we do this to ourselves over and over in all these different situations. Veal. (laughs) Veal, yeah, we're we're turning ourselves into veal, and and really, you know, what we're trying to do is cultivate anti-fragility, resilience, adaptability. And I think that, you know, kind of understanding violence is, is a really key part of that, and I, I wanted to I'm not sure you're seeing this, is at least don't deny it. Yeah. I really want to get into the play stuff, and uh, we're going to do some movement on camera um, nice. a little bit later and talk about some of the games. But I wanted to get into something that I think is really important for everybody in the movement community to, to think about that is something that I, I learned from you or you described in a way that, that mm. really made sense to me, which is this difference between um, teaching um, Training, and conditioning. Teaching and play. Yeah, yeah and, and play. Um, I think it's, it's incredibly profound for people to understand this, that when they look at the way that they're teaching, the way that they're moving, the way that they're doing, all these different things, mm-hmm. if they don't have a, this schema, mm-hmm. then they're going to be missing out on what they're trying to accomplish. So could you explain what the difference between these are?
1: Okay, and then my breakdown, so probably not real language for other people, mm-hmm. it's a private language thing I told you about. Yeah. Um, Teaching is anything you do juggling symbols. Anything you read, anything you hear, um, watching, talking heads on the mm-hmm. podcasts. Yeah. It's teaching. It's symbol juggling. It goes into this part of your brain and it's access to a access. I, well, I know one person who's pretty profoundly autistic <laughs> um, who read something and used it in the middle of a fight because they remembered it. Mm-hmm. So the, the stuff that programs your memory doesn't come out under stress, so it's got to be deep in that. So that's... Uh, teaching. Training is the rote work that people do. Um, all, all of the drills, the, the counter-response drills, the Uchikomis, all the stuff. And that also doesn't appear to come out your first time under stress. Mm-hmm. There, uh, Ken Marine Training at Speed of Life said that there's a, a magical threshold, about three to five, where you can access your training. But you get through your first handful on instinct and luck.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't, so it's, and it's one of the things for, for professionals, training is incredibly important, because they will hit that threshold. And then they'll have luck, instinct, and the training. But for most civilian self defense, it's not going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, which leads to operant conditioning is stimulus response reward. It's, it's the closest thing we get to artificial reflex. Um, we all have some to some extent. There are flinch responses, but no trained person still has their natural flinch responses. Mm-hmm. If a fist comes at your face right now, well, you've probably turned it off because we're mm-hmm. a thing, but you'll, you'll raise your shoulder, you bring your hands up, or, or you'll, you'll step and crouch, but you'll go into a stance. Yeah. Um, And that's that stimulus-response-reward. Doesn't work on complex stuff, incredibly important for surviving ambushes. The one bad thing is that we're always conditioned all the time and we're usually not aware of it. So when you have the instructor, and I'm having deja vu like I always said this today, who teaches you and teaches you and teaches you to fight and then you tag the instructor and he punishes you for it, the hindbrain remembers the punishment and remembers the conditioning. You yep. just For all the years and years you spent training someone to win, you have just conditioned them, it's safer to lose than it is to win. And that can, conditioning will come out in your first fights, it's, it's an artificial reflex, it must come out. Um, and that leaves the, the fourth is play. And the thing with play is when you engage that part of your brain, it's just a natural way to move. Uh, one of the first things I say in most of the seminars is, you know, however long you've been training, I want you to forget your training. Not because there's anything wrong with it, but if you're remembering it, it's in the wrong part of your brain. Just trust it's part of the way you move and just move with it. And that's the thing. If you can turn game, the, the game that we played earlier, mm-hmm. um, once you start setting that winning condition, it is four effects with a single move. Yeah. Then it becomes stupid not to get four effects with a single move. And it goes back into your martial arts training, and your, your efficiency increases by about 400%. Um, but if, but how you play is how you actually move. My, my first, sense, not my first, my first jujitsu sensei would sense, say if he could, fig- if he knew how you played as a child, he would know exactly how to teach you as an adult. Um,
0: but play is profound. It's the only one that can handle complex reality. Yeah, is it's it's our innate learning system. What I always tell people is if you look at play, if, if you can harness the power of play in the way that you're teaching somebody, mm-hmm. you're mainlining the information of the brain, mm-hmm. a thousand percent better. And two, if you know how people inherently play, yeah. then you know a lot about what a human being is and needs to be competent at, and that's our guide for, for kind of what we're trying to create. We were talking about this, uh, this balance between teaching people, um, training, conditioning, and play. Yeah. And I think this is such a powerful paradigm because what I'm seeing a lot within the movement community is an over-reliance on the teaching feeling like if you Mm -hmm. give people all the words all the information then they'll express the behavior and it really just doesn't understand how to create a better and stronger mover Um, so your perspective on this really comes from Mm self-defense but it's much bigger than that really any time that you want to create a a robust ability Mm -hmm. you need to think about what is the training? And mm-hmm. for for me, that's drills, right? Mm-hmm. I need in order for you to express that skill. You have there's something you miss right now, so you need to train a quality that that will then express in the skill. Mm-hmm. Then in the skill, um, there's drill work, and then there's the the play, and then yeah. are you conditioning? For, for I can go almost backwards. Yeah. The uh, the only the stuff I try
1: to teach and I, I, I like talking and I like thinking yeah. things out so there's more than there should be. Stuff I try to teach are the things that that work in symbols anyway. So, um, uh, articulating a self-defense decision. Mm-hmm. is It's a word thing so it's okay to teach it in words but they still have to play. And the play in there is they argue with each other trying to make their case sound better. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the physical stuff I do the other way. I start with the game. Mm-hmm. They play the game. And part of that um, I believe deep down to my s- to my soul that humans are natural survivors, natural fighters, natural predators. Mm-hmm. I don't think you ever have to fight your students' nature mm-hmm. to become good at this, but you have to fight their conditioning because they've been told from the time they're babies they aren't supposed to. Yeah. So, so getting into a place where they and they suddenly realize that they can play the game. Should we wait for the train? No. Okay. So get into a place where they can play the game um, and realize that even with. place where it's psychologically safe and comfortable to play without being told grow up without being told they're doing it wrong which is one of the worst things we do and so we do the play and then if there's a deficit or it's part of the class we take him out and we work on a skill or a principle that applies to it so get the better so we take him out Um, the game we played down on the beach we take him out do that and then we take out we'll work on say power generation Leverage and put it back in the game, and so there's and, and in there and you get people incredibly competent. Um, we had uh, Scotland three weeks ago. I Kind of want to brag about this because ladies and up there no training whatsoever, and in six hours she was giving a third degree black belt problems. Wow! And it's and she just went into it with open mind. She went into it willing to play. When she realized she was allowed to play, she was experimenting, and he was. Um, and less so, because he's actually, I know him, he's pretty cool, but whereas he's trying to remember what to do, she was going, what can I do, and letting herself see it, and letting herself do it, and so in, in six hours.
0: There's this, there's this theory of kind of teaching right now in, um, in the sports performance world called dynamic systems theory, if you're familiar, okay. but basically the idea is that we, any kind of motor output is dependent on a lot of systems in the body. When you get a person to Mm self-organize the solution on a subcognitive level, you create a more robust skill. Mm -hmm. So what you want to do is essentially give that person as many options as possible, and then give them problems to solve that allow them to become smarter at solving those problems. When you give them a set of solutions, Mm -hmm. you are actually creating a set of inhibitions around using other solutions. Yes which is contrary to being an adaptable, resilient human being. Mm-hmm. And it, it, to me, it fits exactly with what the process you're describing. We need to start with, how do you how do you you want to be able to vault over things? Start vaulting over things. When there's a problem, go back and start developing the qualities that will allow you okay. to do it in a better way.
1: And, and, right, and then you can sit there about, how's that working, how's that working? Good, happy? Um, and then you show them structure and doing it stiff arm and they, yeah. they get the bone bounce instead of trying to do it with muscle. Mm-hmm. And so they've got something that they're already happy with and then you make them happier. And so it's, it's not a continuous punishment, you're doing the wrong, it's <sighs> continuous, I will give you more gifts and you will get better and better.
0: Exactly. One of the perspectives I like to take into my teaching is, is comes from dog training books, mm-hmm. comes from mythology, like understanding operant conditioning yeah. is really powerful. And, and with, my, with my students, I would rather them associate me with positive reward mm-hmm. than negative punishment. Right? Or positive punishment.
1: right? And creative um, criticism is always a punishment, no matter how well meaning it is, no matter how much you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and if no matter what the student does, they're going to get criticized.
0: The only rational strategy is to do nothing, to become as passive as possible. So then you're training people to become less empowered. So if we can get them to self-organize mm-hmm. within the context of a game and then seek to reward the behaviors that we like, yeah. that are effective and powerful, we're gonna create way more competent and adaptable athletes, I think. And, and we play, um, one of the games we play, going back to your dynamic, whatever,
1: um, play the game, have them, have them play so they play out, and that's their baseline yeah. when we're doing the game in, in normal seminar. Um, and towards the end, we play with different ways to organize everything in your brain. Because this, mm-hmm. this has been done historically. And so you get people that have no experience in so kind of kung fu system, They've been playing this game, and tell them to pretend to be a master of the animal styles. So go back to yeah. you're 12 years old, you've been watching TV, and organize it from this point. You know you're you're the, the master of venomous spider style, and they're supposed to just if they get stuck do whatever a spider master mm-hmm. would do, and they suddenly become more efficient because instead of memorizing techniques they have a, they have an organizing theme for
0: all the stuff. That it's they a game know. that they play, and that's yeah. that's actually the way that I've come to look at all martial arts, mm-hmm. right? My, my perspective on martial arts is that I've played a lot and, mm-hmm. and done a lot of things and I don't, I'm not trying to be a self-defense coach, but I think that you should know how to throw a punch, know how to throw a kick, mm-hmm. know how to grapple because you're a human being. And know when. And, and, and human yeah. beings have those capacities. Yes. They should explore them. And, and I think that this play perspective is really powerful to get people to, to do that in a way that's developmental of their overall capacities. When I look at martial arts, everybody I know who can do something effectively comes from a tradition that has some form of free play, as you said. Mm-hmm. And what I see though is that there tends to be a set of rules that a different, that a specific style grabs onto that becomes their game. Mm-hmm. And they tend to fall in love with that game and they play variations on it, but they often don't kind of play some other game. Yes. If you're a BJJ guy, mm-hmm. you you get. So, I mean, BJJ is a beautiful game. It's so complex. It's so intricate. There's so much information so, to grab on in it. In a lot of ways, it's so natural
1: and it's yeah. so fun.
0: It's awesome. Yeah. But there's a lot of guys there who are never mm-hmm. playing a striking game. Yeah. There's a lot of BJJ guys that I've trained with who rarely train even the standing grappling portion mm-hmm. of it. And and to me, you're you're missing out on some really functional aspects of just being a human being. And every, every martial art that I can think of, every martial sport that I can think of, they tend to mistake, not all of them, but a lot of them tend to mistake their game for somehow being reality. Everyone does. It's, uh,
1: you're, you're investing a huge amount of time in something that you think is fighting. Yeah. Um, that you think is violence, which is not the same as fighting, that you think mm-hmm. is surviving the assault, which is not the same either, mm-hmm. but you've invested all this time and all these years in it, and you don't want to admit that you may have been investing in something that's not what you thought it was, <laughs> and and I don't know why, because it's the other way, why are people, this makes me happy, I'm doing it because it makes me happy, yeah. I, I enjoy, if you enjoy, you know, non-contact point sparring, then... That's reason by itself to do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, but but it, know what it is, right? But everyone, everyone, wants it to be something it's not. And it's. Let's give you Yeah. that Real life is the time when the rules actually matter.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, the way you described it this morning was great. Yeah. You said, S- game, "Sports are when you know the rules."
1: And, and the rules are going to be obeyed, and, and the, you can be punished for uh, real life almost any time, you know. The rules
0: don't matter, but yeah. you know them. No,
1: if, if we're if we're boxing and I and I I kick you in the balls, you're you going to say, hey, that's not boxing. I say, welcome to the real world. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's just basically the real world. When we when we play this game, you're like, that's not real world. That's not real world. That's real. It's the distinction is almost always when the rules that are expressed and what actually
0: happens don't match when so mm-hmm. you yeah. can't count on the rules. Yeah, when the, when the rules you're told are not the rules that you actually experience. Yes. Yeah. So, so, what I wanted to ask you though is, um, if, we look at, if we look at every, karate is a game, or okay. a bunch of different games. Muay Thai is a game, BJJ mm-hmm. is a game, Judo is a game, Greco-Roman is a game. All of these games mm-hmm. are valuable and can teach you really important skills that you can apply in in a real situation but all of them fundamentally have to be short of real combat because the game of real combat is totally unsustainable. Yes. Right? You you run out of training partners real fast yeah. if you survive. Mm-hmm. My kind of approach is how do we understand that break break down the games mm-hmm. and understand them better so that we can build more adaptable people. What I wanted to ask you, as someone who really has a deep understanding of self-defense, is what are the kind of common problems that you see people, the common mistakes people are making from thinking their game is reality?
1: Oh wow, okay. Um, Probably the biggest is that people always confuse intensity with truth. Okay. Um, Anything you do under adrenaline feels more real than anything you don't. So the faster and harder you go, the more real it feels, and the more it's true. Okay, but do the math on it. If you're going at 100% speed and power and no one's going to the hospital, what are you doing to make that possible? Because you're either delusional about the 100%, 100% speed and power, or you're throwing in an artifact, and that artifact has become just as real as the rest of the techniques. Yeah. So that's, um, that's the biggest. You always need to know what you're doing so that you can safely do this at all because mm-hmm. there's something. Um, one of the things, um, and, and my background, my original background is Judo, so. Uh, uh, you can play Judo pretty much as hard as you want. Yeah. As long as you stay within the rules, everyone's gonna be sore and unhappy and bruised, but stuff outside, and yeah, this is, I've had one knee blown out and a concussion and a couple mm-hmm. other injuries, and everyone's had their shoulder dislocations. Um, but it's, it's, you can play it in intensity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that intensity is really, really important. Uh, it's not someone trying to take you out from behind. And, that, and one of the things I was really grateful, my instructors insisted that it wasn't real Judo unless you were working two-way classes up, and that's what they all made me compete at most of the time. Um, and that forced you to play a game. So playing, playing with bigger people, which is not impossible, it's, but it is a different game. You can't use the same techniques you use.
0: It's difficult that's when you weigh 210 size. pounds they find someone bigger <laughs> oh they're bigger people they're bigger people i just it's hard to find people who are trained yeah. interested in training and big yeah when you're big well it's
1: there's um well, there's a lot of times big guys just they get big enough to beat everyone they know and then they stop and the small guys are the ones that are driven yeah because everyone's bigger they need to be technically superb absolutely um, but the so yeah that's um and also understand i've said this before fighting is not the same as self-defense yeah Um, the difference between you know uh, dueling and someone who's picked the weakest distracted and they're going to take them out with the least possible danger to themselves at the least advanced or the most advantageous way it's a qualitatively different problem um and this is one of the things so again so the mistakes you're asking about your safety flaws yeah always have to know um Confusing intensity with truth. It felt so real, it must be real. Mm-hmm. And the other one, recognizing the martial athlete against martial athlete is not the people that need self-defense skills. Mm-hmm. It's a drunk 110-pound girl who's limping that day. That's that's a prime target. Yeah. And she needs qualitatively different skills in how to box somebody who's facing her in her own weight class.
0: Yeah. So big ones. So- one of the things about my perspective is that it's self-defense. I think is is something everybody who wants to be a competent human being should mm-hmm. at least engage the topic to some degree. Yeah. But what I'm what I'm personally kind of most interested in is how do we build better human beings in general? Mm-hmm. Right. The drill that is interesting to me, it works for self-defense, but it's also a way to build a better human being in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's this distinction, you've talked about the distinction between um, dominance violence mm-hmm. and predatory violence. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's an incredibly valuable distinction for people to understand. Um, but I think that we, we should not necessarily throw out the dominance violence as a way mm-hmm. of of understanding who we are as human beings mm-hmm. and, and playing with those, exploring that. When I, when I see little kids and they're told, don't hit, don't push, don't yeah. kick, I say, well, Tell them conditions that they can do that safely, because what you're telling them is, one, you're telling them if they ever do get in a situation where they need those skills that you've de, you've deconditioned you've conditioned that out of them. But two, why does that kid want to hit the other kid? So before we uh, started the cameras today, just to kind of get to know each other, I was sharing one of the games <laughs> that is one of my favorite games to to play, which is a variation on a game called Zen Archer, which is, from my perspective, it's about learning movement sensitivity with a partner and exposing your body to a lot of different movement techniques. It's interestingly a game that's similar to a game that Rory plays, and there's a subtle difference in the way that he does it that creates a much stronger self-defense perspective. So we're having some very alive weather right now, yep. and Rory's gonna explain kind of uh, what his game is and, and why he does it.
1: Okay, I want to do three games. Um, the first one's the one step. It's the take a turn, slow motion, getting to know each other. Um, it's also a game and meet geometry. What's the most efficient thing you can do in this moment at this time? Um, we go slow motion so we can go full contact with good targeting. And when I go slow motion, Ray, will you please press on my eyeball?
0: I uh, will try to press on your eyeball. No, I mean, as
1: long as you're going, right. As long as he's going slow motion, he can put his fingers behind me, and get good structure, he can... As, so the only reason we aren't going to hospitals because it's slow.
0: Yep.
1: Um, second game um, is a chi out variation. Okay. Um, and this is what we are talking about. I play a game and I skill build and play a game. What I actually like to do is do a skill build and then do a specific game for that skill build and then bring it back to the game. Okay. Um, so the, the elbow chi out is a variation one of the specific games. Okay. Um, and if you're up to it, Mm-hmm. Um we could do some, some short slow safe infighting Randori. I'll do that. Okay, and you'll I'll have I'll explain what we're doing then. Okay. Sounds okay, good. so cool? Yeah. yeah. Right. So.
0: Awesome. So thanks so much Rory. Really fun. The three games that we went through are um one step, one step. So the, the basic idea here is that I'm doing an action. He's going to respond to that action trying to take out my my attack by structure and attack at the same time. Is that correct? If I want to be really
1: specific, if he goes, yeah, you do the you do. Most martial arts, they were taught to defend, they were taught to strike, and they were taught to footwork, and they were taught to as three different things, and it fucked it up. Um, so if I can go one motion it protects me, hurts him, puts me in a better position, puts him in a worse position, with a single motion, that's the goal. So, this is my meat geometry to problem solve. This is my solution. This is now his meat geometry problem to solve. Right, it just drops. And um, and if I'm coaching, I would sit there and say, you can do that drop as an impact, instead of as a push. Okay, and it's my geometry problem now is this. If I bring that to the side, if I drop my weight into it, it dislocate your knee, So the standard is four effects with every motion really
0: important is understanding that you're going problem to problem and it's an exchange of, of, of communication essentially Yeah, when, when people fuck this up
1: it's because they think of it as a fight simulation mm-hmm. and it has a little bit of application to that it's you know a fair amount physically but you aren't scared and you aren't getting hurt so by definition you aren't fighting Yeah, um, and that's, that's probably the biggest don't make any drill more than it is but, um, and then the third rule we did. Um, locks things in. It's too fast to think. Mm-hmm. You're, if you're in here and you can punch, kick, bite, gouge, mm-hmm. um, if those are separated in your head, if defense and offense are separated in your head, you will fail. And that's why that rule is so important for, for integration. Um, but my thing is, you, you slow down this game enough that you can start to see anything you're doing that's inefficient. So if we're sitting here and you're, you're thinking about hitting me and you aren't thinking about popping this knee, which is a three inch move, boom. Right, it's you this. It. Yeah, you know, so if you slow down enough and you start seeing it or have a boat start putting it out for you, and then once you start getting those knees down, you go to the fast game to lock it in, you go to the slow game to see, fast game to lock it in. Beautiful. That's how I do it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's awesome. So, so really looking at the way that you can Geometrically respond to somebody Is the first game. And the second
1: game you'll to of, 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 oh, yeah. The cheese house is, is a specific game for leverage. Um, sumo is a, is one of the specific games for using momentum. Yeah. So you, you play a specific game. Boxing is a specific game for something that you always put it back to where you integrate the integrate the new
0: skills. Beautiful. Yeah. And then the last yeah. game um, is you know I'm always trying to essentially ping people through freedom yeah. in the games that we play where they have the control and the trust and rapport with their partner so they can play in ways that are more stimulating of, of, of more, more of a fight because that's what this is for in a sense. It's for, but it's also, it's just natural
1: movement. When, when I'm here, mm-hmm. um, if I'm thinking about you, I'm going to lose. Yeah. So you're my meat yeah. meat. What I can do, you're going to do the same thing to me.
0: Plus, it's incredible power that you can get out of another human being. And intelligent resistance. You know, wrestling was by the Stoics, so you know, two thousand years ago as, as the foundation of physical education because there are, there are more variables really in this type of situation, especially up here in nature or in a parking lot, anyways, in a in a playground. Having to deal with the mats aren't soft. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit slippery slippery and stuff to uh, impact us with, incredibly powerful, and you know, take these games and, and start slow, start with this first game, start with some of these concepts, um, learn to be receptive with your partner and, and have a good relationship, and I think, you know, it's a really powerful.
1: last words? That third game can be dangerous. Um, play with people with good control that you trust and make sure everyone knows not just how to break ball. Um, but a lot of the falls that happen are going to be leg tinglements mm-hmm. you need to be able to to recognize it and utterly relax and take the fall or um, very very high risk of injury reason i don't usually play it with people in a seminar format at all
0: yeah i i would echo exactly what he's saying where uh these higher level games they should come from experience and development in the lower level games. So I'm, I'm very thankful that you were willing to play with uh, that with me and show this to me and, and play it on camera, but uh, but that's not where you start. Um, so you, we want to show you guys kind of where this can develop, but make sure that you start at the start and develop it So that's uh, kind of this episode of the um, to Play Podcast. Thank you so much, Rory. That's it was an amazing fun. experience, and uh, hopefully we'll have him on again. We could talk for hours. Cool.